0: The interacting with reality's operations is what time and nature provides. It's the structure. And then the payoff is this lightness and energetic renewal that helps you answer the question of who am I and what am I here to do? And the more that we can get ourselves and the people that we love into that type of situation and those, and helping to discover the answers to those questions, then the better off we're going to be and the world will be. Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi.
1: Hello, fellow do and friends. I'm your host, Karina Balisi. Today, we have a real treat as we get to explore nature with a friend of the show, Emmanuel Rose. Now, he's a special individual. He's actually spent a lifetime in the world of marketing, but he's pivoted a lot of that work into the world of exploration of nature, and in particular, storytelling to engage our kids and bring them into the wilds of nature. He has a series about Winnaha Henry, which he has just really begun. And here we see a coloring book. There's a children's story along with a dug fur set of trees to plant, as well as a guide to get you into the wilderness with the next generation called Nature Bound with Winaha Henry. These books are a real treat. My kids have already been exploring their pages with me, wanting to take part in the activities and really learn more. Let me tell you for a moment about Emmanuel Rose. He's an author. He's an outdoorsman and marketing expert. He merges this love of nature with a thriving career in marketing. And really, nature's influence shines in his children's series, Winaha Henry, It imparts lessons of compassion, ecosystems, family, and storytelling. Emmanuel Rose, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much, Karina. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
1: Take two of our conversation, huh? (laughs) For those that are watching and listening, we got pretty far into a conversation that I only happened to record the audio of as backup. So now you get to see this live and in person. But I wanted to show you guys all on YouTube, if you happen to be watching there, just the cover of these books beautifully illustrated red-tailed hawk, Wanaha Henry. There's a coloring book for kids. And as soon as this arrived, my older son, who's eight now, just couldn't resist himself and already started coloring its pages. And then you have this children's book, Wanaha Henry, Seeds to a Tree. And it even includes those Douglas fir seeds and instructions on how to plant them. I'm looking forward to finding the spot either on my property or in the open space preserved behind my house to plant this beautiful tree, given enough water to get it start. I just wanted to start really by having you share your story. What inspired you as this marketer to pivot so much of your time, energy, and effort into creating this children's book and series?
0: Well, with the grandkids in our lives, they're remote from us, and I wanted to have a way to inspire and trigger and share the ethics that I've learned um, in my lifetime in a fun and, and deep way, both for them and for their parents, and it really was a very organic process of having had the thought about it and not really putting any action to it. One day, I was sitting next to the Wanaha River after a long fruitless turkey hunt. I was staring across the winaha River at a large wall that was a mosaic, glimpse the Kiss, and there was a red-tailed hawk circling above that. And in that kind of magical mis- mixture of sound and visuals, it just came to me that winaha Henry the red-tailed hawk. And that's where I created the character. I was inspired to create the character. And from there, I spent the next few months writing the stories and as a gift to Henry and to other kids who may may be triggered into action by these stories.
1: Well, one of the themes that you talk about as you're kind of reading through some of the opening pages and Nature Bound with Banaha Henry is this need to really engage kids with the outdoors. And there's so many reasons for that, right? Like we want to get them off of screen time. We want them to understand nature and the complexity of our ecosystems to be advocates for our climate and for all of earth's inhabitants and and to ultimately have a more well-rounded education about just what it is to be a living being but you also put into this book gosh so many different family activities that could really inspire you to get into the wilderness in a way that is exploratory and that opens your mind the way you might be as a six-year-old who's encountering some of this wonder for the first time. If there's a favorite activity in the book, um, the, specifically I'm speaking to Nature Bound with Wanaha Henry right now, Yeah, what is it? What's your favorite activity?
0: Above everything else is the lone sit, is to creating uh, a, a space for your child or for you to spend a defined amount of time by yourself, just observing what's going on, preferably near moving water. And we know this from Aboriginal cultures that these times alone for a predetermined amount of time, sometimes as long as four days, which I have done and have gotten great value from myself. And it's something that's missing from the busy schedule of parents and kids that when every minute is a flute lesson and a soccer class and French class and going to school and on and on and on, that there's not a lot of time of just of sit and reflection. And the more that we can do that as the mentor and then share that in a constructive and safe way with the kids, then the more access they're going to have to their own humanity.
1: Well, you're bringing to mind a few things and prior guests that I've actually had on the show too, including the climate optimist and Therese Denari. She mentions this whole concept of feeling like when she's alone in nature and she sits there in the woods or in a glade or just in the middle of that quiet, open space that she feels like that's when she gets messages from, I don't know what you call it, but she says it feels like it comes from somewhere external and that's where her big ideas are generated and things like that. That's where she's able to connect with that inner or outer voice. that feels like it speaks to her and really get clear with what her power and intention should be in this next stage or when she's asking the big questions. And I find a lot of the same where when I am out in nature and spending time amongst the redwoods or out by the ocean that is when i find that i just get that kind of clarity that i think we so often seek but can't find in the cement jungles of our lives so i really do appreciate that um you know there's also this whole concept that when we are in natural spaces when we are able to take our shoes off and spend time with our feet firmly on the ground that we're able to connect with the water that's in the environment and, and actually rebalance ourselves and become more alkaline if we're running over acidic. Like there's all this science behind what this nature bathing can actually do for our health, both from that mental health perspective and the physical health perspective, like the two are connected. What has your experience been in this arena? Do you have examples that you like to share?
0: Well, I studied with a man named Tom Brown, who is, they call him the tracker, and he was uh, trained in the Lippin Apache tradition. It's all nature bathing. We would do an exercise where actually dig a, a hole in the ground, a coffin-sized hole, and you bury yourself in dirt and you are just laying there. And you feel a different heartbeat of nature buried in the dirt than you do sitting on the rock next to it. My commitment to myself is one week a month, I'm screen free. And it's true, I'm similar to the woman you were describing, where the re-energization that I get is critical enough that I I commit that much time every month.
1: Well, a week a month is generous. I can't imagine that as a parent of a five and an eight-year-old, I'd be able to accomplish that (laughs) without taking them with me. And then-
0: You'd have to take them with you. Yeah.
1: (laughs) For sure. It's not happening as a solo enterprise. That's for certain- But we do try to get out there and go hiking and also just take the time to to go camping on a routine basis. But even in today's world, it's like, okay, you bring the tablet with you and the backup battery and your phones are for taking film and pictures and things like that too. It makes me miss sometimes that analog lifestyle of the past, just even thinking about something like real camera with film as opposed to (laughs) your phone to take all these pictures. And I think that there's this perception that if you somehow didn't document it, it didn't happen. Now, there's a movement in a younger generation of people that some are just saying, I'm choosing not to have social media. I'm choosing not even to carry with me a phone. I've actually met a young Gen Z person who's just chosen to say goodbye to a cell phone, doesn't have one. He has a tablet and he can use apps on it when he needs to, but has chosen not to have a cell phone. And I'm like, wow, how can you even do that today? It gives me something to move towards, I think. I think your aspirations for this book, as you've at least described them to me in both this prior little séjour of 17 minutes that we had that was not available for video, (laughs) that a lot of your inspiration was around getting people to commune with nature, especially in a time where our natural world is changing, in some cases is suffering from too much water or too little fires and floods what do you see out there in the pacific northwest and and what good signs do you possibly see for the health of our forests
0: the forests are being forests that's the good news so i was recently on the coastal section of the rogue river and a burn that had happened two or three years ago and the understory had gotten cleared out and the the big trees were healthy still so it's just starting to come back the bushes and, and flowers so that was encouraging It's a mixed bag. It's tough. We have a lot of encroachment from humans, and so that changes the way that the forests behave. But in general, I think there's a good awareness. What my hope and dream would be for those of us who care and love about the forests and animals is that we would go and and spend more time as a group outside, off the trail, really with the feet in the dirt, like you're talking about. Out of the $500 hiking boots, away from the the $1,000 North Face tent, spend a night outside in a debris hut, or spend a night outside with a wool blanket next to a river, and really feel the vibration that is happening, and not just the intellectual exercise.
1: Well, so you're saying, say goodbye to our Patagonia fleece. and
0: (laughs) Not goodbye, but just put it away for a day or two. Really experience it, not just intellectually.
1: Yeah, well, my younger, I should say my older son, he's eight now he keeps asking me, he says, mom, I want to camp outside, but without a tent. And I'm just terrified that he's going to end up covered in bed bug bites or not bed bugs, mosquitoes or whatever else, especially if you're near a body of water. Right. And so I've hesitated to say yes to that, but we often do backyard camping on our own property. And I think if I was going to give it a try I'd say, okay, you can take your sleeping bag and sleep on the hammock we have in the yard or something like that and see how he does. But as a family, that perhaps sounds a little bit more extreme than I'm ready for. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, everybody's got what they're able to do, their limits, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I have girlfriends who do a lot of backpacking, and they go off for multiple days into the mountains of around Tahoe and things like that, and will just go with what they have on their backs. I know they're sleeping without a tent, and I have yet to join them, so perhaps that's my next adventure. Tell our audience a little bit about Winaha Henry in particular, and what makes this character so, I think, appealing to young kids?
0: Well, he's the hero, and he is entering situations as a beginner, with beginner's mind, and asking the questions and looking for the wisdom from not just his elders or subject matter experts that he meets, but also from the vibration and the pulse of the forest and making sense of how to participate in a way that is value to himself and his family and his community and in the forest, in the bigger picture.
1: You mentioned vibrations a couple of times thus far. And a few years ago, we might have seen this as more woo-woo than we might presently. There's science that shows people are generally of clearer mind and also better health when they spend more time in nature. What would you say to somebody who might be a little skeptical, who might say, still that they have a hard time thinking about the vibrations of spending time in the great outdoors
0: i think i would say test it that's fine we'll turn your phone off leave it in the car go for a walk next to a creek and sit on a rock and sit there as long as you can stand it participate in some way knowing that this adventure that we've created with technology this addiction with technology is a new thing and it's not making us more human And most people are not happier because they're using all this technology. I was listening to your happiness expert or podcast earlier and I was like, yeah, go. All these things are not making us happy. They're not. And you can research it. You can research Joe Dispenza and these guys who are talking about spiritual things in Western medicine terminology and understand it from that rational side of the brain. You can go and take, schedule four hours and go for a walk uh, next to a creek and experience it.
1: Well, what do they say too? It's uh, time with family and friends in the great outdoors is one of the best uses of time that you can have on this planet. Sharing a meal with people, breaking bread. I once got to tell the story of the medicine hunter, Chris Killam, on this podcast, where he described what to me sounded like pure heaven, where he and some, I'm forgetting what culture these people were from, but they- essentially hiked off into the woods, mostly just like barefoot, essentially found this river mouth, harvested some wild river shrimp from the river mouth, played in the waterfall, got some tubers from underground and like made a fire and cooked all the food they harvested from that spot right then and there. And then eventually we're just like looking at one another and just broke out in delirious laughter because it was just obviously such a perfect moment. And you mentioned that you're off in the woods turkey hunting. I mean, granted, that was not the, the day that you wanted because you didn't get to bring home a bird, but it was the day you needed because you got inspired by this Winaha Henry. There is something, I think, to that. When I invited Stephen Hawley on this podcast, too, he wrote the book Cracked, which is out by Patagonia Press and which really talks about the crumbling infrastructure of our dams in the Pacific Northwest and how they've damaged our river Ecosystems. And while they might have supplied green energy, they supply a surplus and more than we need now. And at the same time, they're expensive to maintain and they have really killed the spawning grounds for the salmon. Salmon aren't coming as far into the forest. And because salmon aren't coming as far into the forest, they're not leaving the nutrients behind that they captured in the oceans. You have a decline in the salmon species so that then the orca aren't able to flourish as much because they rely on the salmon to, for their diet. And the forests, it's documented, trees grow 50% taller in grounds where there's salmon spawning, or 50% taller, 50% faster than areas where they don't. So I'm curious if you have thoughts about the elimination of dams in the Pacific Northwest and what you might say about that whole concept.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of positives for it. Obviously, it's going to open up a ton of spawning grounds. And like you're talking about, all these things are connected. And the protein that those anadromous fish provide, salmon and steelhead, um, are pulled all the way through the forest, sometimes as much as 50 square miles from the river. We see that the river's...
1: You don't think about that, but it's because the birds that prey on them also bring them to their nests, which can be far off. And it's amazing how intertwined these ecosystems really are.
0: It's true. I think the one challenge down on the Klamath River, they're pulling those three dams out. What we are going to see is a different kind of flooding and in high water events. And we have encroached on the river because of how what the size that it's been. There is going to be some collateral damage that will be impact the humans for sure. But overall, it will open up a lot more spawning and, and change it as long as we haven't completely lost the genetic stocks of those fish. So. We do know also the rivers clear very quickly, the sediment that's upstream, both on the Elwha and the Sandy River, Washington, Oregon, those cleared in one season. If there's a good water event, the sediment gets pushed out in the ocean and then it's a free-flowing river again, especially if there's electricity need. It's a very positive thing.
1: Well, there are other methods to get green energy, solar, geothermal among a couple, harnessing the power of waves, wind. There's other technologies we can use that aren't as damaging to the ecosystems that don't kill our rivers. Stephen Hawley also suggested that if you were a skeptic, or even if you weren't, and just to spend more time by the rivers and appreciation, because it really is the life force. You know, we evolved near water for a reason. The rivers enabled us to go further inland and into the mountains because we'd have a fresh water source they clean the environment at the same time. And you know if you even just wade into a super cold river from the ice and snow melt, I mean, I do that here, even just in the San Lorenzo, which isn't the most pristine, but it's all melt water essentially from the Sierras. The water can be very cold. And there is also science behind the health of allowing your body to get to this low temp for a little bit. And then you emerge. From that. And it's kind of this hot cold therapy that you can actually help to relieve inflammatory issues and things like that in your body just by going into the river's waters for a little bit. So I wanted to ask you a question about the Doug Fir tree because you chose Doug Firs, I'm sure, for a reason. Why did you choose to provide seeds of Douglas Firs, knowing that it's also a tree that needs a lot of space? And how does one best ensure that these seeds would come to fruition and create? A 50 to 80 foot tall tree
0: the doug fir is pretty widespread on the west coast the united states and i knew that it would be one that would adapt well to a lot of places and there's a great company in arcadia california called the johnstein company and they're the source of the seeds and they do seed packs of all different kinds of trees they sell in the national parks and things like that and the follow the directions and call johnstein it's a Best get those things to sprout. If you're having issues, they're the tree experts. I'm the storyteller. (laughs) I'll stay in my lane on that one.
1: (laughs) That's good. No, that's perfect. Provided there's like a puck in here to offer saturation of moisture, which I think expands. And in my experience, I've got two dog furs on my property. They haven't sent up any young ones. um, I think because there may just not be enough space for them. But we did have a couple of saplings when we moved in that. We realized we would just create too much underbrush because they take a while to establish. They ended up being our self-harvested Charlie Brown Christmas trees one year and then the next. But you know, again, we didn't have really enough space for them. And you have to worry about fire ladders and things like that here in California. I'm thinking about where we could possibly plant a couple in the open space preserve, but understanding how much water trees take to get started My plan was to start these out in like a container, get them to the point where they're just a little tree, right? And then go plant them with like a water bag that I go fill every once in a while so that they have time to establish and actually become healthy. I think I can get permission to do that. So I'm actually going to see if I need to go a specific route that way, (laughs) given that it's the land trust of Santa Cruz manages the property.
0: Oh, I got you. Yeah.
1: All right. Just as we think about this last stage of the interview, I like to ask my guests to really think about the message that they would want to leave our audience with. And if there is a question that I haven't asked that you wish I had, you could ask and answer it. This could lead to another 10 or 15 minute discussion.
0: (laughs) For me, the joy and freedom and lessons that I've learned outside is the inspiration for me in that being in situations where I have to use my brain in order to get out safely, that can only happen out in nature when you get, get pounded by a rainstorm that, that you didn't know about, or that it's one day it's sunny and 70 degrees and the next day it's freezing and the trees that had burned the season before are falling down and you've got to get out safely. The interacting with reality's operations is what time in nature provides. It's the structure. And then the payoff is this lightness and energetic renewal that helps you answer the question of who am I and what am I here to do? And the more that we can get ourselves and the people that we love into that type of situation and those and helping to discover the answers to those questions, then the better off we're going to be and the world will be.
1: What do you take from this exploration of wilderness that you know you apply in your day it a day as a marketer and professional in the world of business?
0: The biggest thing is patience and never allowing myself to think that I'm smarter than the marketplace. I'm not smarter than nature. I'm not smarter than the marketplace. I have to observe and then I have to act from those observations and then I have to retool based on the results that happen. It's, those are identical in both situations.
1: I love that. I think it so clearly applies. And as somebody who spends time also in developing brands and helping people market, it's just so critical that we learn from what we innately know from nature. There's so much to gain there. I agree. Well, I just want to thank you so much for spending this time with me today. There's a couple of closing thoughts that I have that I thought I would just share with our audience and then offer you the opportunity to comment on as well. We've heard a lot over the course of this podcast about the need for change, the need for more activism, the need for more climate activists out there banging the drum. And I feel like this call to nature, communing with nature, nature bathing, it's not only imperative for our mental health and our emotional health, It's also imperative to inspire us to defend our most precious natural resources in every way possible. I've had guests on who've said, We're going to need a billion activists and we're not going to get them. I've had other guests like Paul Hawkins say, We're absolutely going to get them. And over the course of the last week, we've seen floods that are unprecedented in spaces over Europe. And now there's been, as of September 12th, a huge flood that had two dams bust in Libya and at least 10,000 people have lost their lives. I think that these are indications that we are going to get the billion activists that we need and that Paul Hawken is right. But we also need to understand that there's this thing called climate lag and that means that as much as we bring of ourselves into this present moment, as much as we are able to reduce our emissions and start to repair our environments and protect and preserve this natural world, we're still likely to see these problems continue for the next 30 years after the point at which we stop the carbon emissions from accumulating. It will be easy to get discouraged. I think it's important that we we keep in our mind and in our hearts this deep understanding that ecosystems can recover and remarkably quickly if we let them. I had this thought during COVID. I don't know if you experienced as well, but there was a good six-month period where we were pretty much on lockdown here in the central coast of California. Our schools were closed, daycares closed, because I was in graduate school and also going through full-time work. I had to move a friend in to help take care of my kids. Now, in that period... We saw coyotes start to go into the main streets, cougars starting to perch on branches above walkways in downtown Santa Cruz. I saw a sky that was bluer than I remembered ever seeing it. Noise pollution was way down because there were not nearly as many cars on the road. There weren't nearly as many as airplanes in the sky. And I personally saw more wildlife every time I went out for a hike. If we give nature the time to recover, it can and it will. And most certainly from what I've seen and from what science shows, it will recover with or without us. So it's absolutely in our interest to be part of the solutions right now. With that, I want to step off of my soapbox (laughs) and see, Emmanuel if you have closing thoughts that you want to share before we part ways today.
0: For me, I want to continue to encourage people to mentor the kids in their lives to be outside and to explore who they are and what they're here to do. And- Take them outside and let them sit by themselves.
1: A dear friend of mine said, the greatest gift that you can get to your give to your kids is to let them be bored. <laughs> yeah. And this is something that I believe too, because it's through boredom that you start to see their creativity just come alive. And if you give them the outdoors and you give them that boredom, suddenly they're creating whole universes in their minds as they initiate play with the wild world. And I just couldn't echo that enough. I completely agree. Thank you, Emmanuel.
0: Yeah, thank you, Karina.
1: To learn more about Emmanuel Rose and the adventures of Wanaha Henry, you can visit my website, caremorebebetter.com. There I will have links to buy the book, complete transcripts from our conversation today, additional resources, and perhaps even outtakes from that 17 minutes that I just didn't get to share with you all in video form. You can sign up for our newsletter to receive a five-step guide that will help you organize your efforts become a better activist, or even just manage a project that's in front of you. It includes sustainability notes and resources where you can educate yourself a bit more too about the sorts of things that you can do to make a difference. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe wherever you're listening to this show. I read every single review that I receive. And so if you want to go ahead and leave me a comment or write a review, I'd greatly appreciate that too. So for this one last effort, I want to again, hold up these amazing books. For those of you that are on YouTube, you have the Winaha Henry, and this is specifically the nature bound guide to help get you into the wilderness with great activities to inspire you. You have the children's book, which includes the dug Fur seeds and also the coloring book. Now, I think they make a great gift and this episode is coming out just in time for holiday shopping. So if you're already doing that, consider picking them up as well. You can also go to winahahenry.com if you wanted to go ahead and explore them directly. But as always, I will provide those links with our show notes and on our website. Thank you, listeners and watchers, now and always, for being a part of this pod and this community, because together we really can do so much more. We can care more. We can be better. We can even share the natural beauty of our world with our children. We can protect and preserve its beauty for generations to come together. Thank
0: you. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good.